Brothers and sisters, we hear God's word from two scripture readings. First of all, from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 8. Pew Bibles on 474. Please follow with us. Nehemiah chapter 8, reading verses 1 through 8. Book of Nehemiah, but it refers to Ezra, the scribe, priest, and his reading of the law of God to God's people. Hear now the word of our Lord. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wood platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, on his right hand, and Pedadiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Second scripture reading from New Covenant, New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, on page 1161. Again, page 1161, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll be reading starting at verse 7 to verse 16. Again, this is the word of the Spirit to us. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for work of mercy, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ gives pastors and teachers to the church. The risen, ascended, victorious Lord Jesus Christ bestows the gift of pastors and teachers upon his church. Why? Why do we receive pastors and teachers? Well, the children know the answer. It's to preach. The pastor's there to preach and to teach the gospel. They're there to teach, to preach, to catechize, to teach theology. But people tell us that theology divides. Teaching causes schisms. We need love. And don't mention doctrine or dogma. That's almost a dirty word, dogma. It divides us. So why did Christ give pastors, teachers of theology and doctrine? Why did he, Christ give pastors to the church? So that they would teach the doctrine of God and that we might be built up in love. Pastors are given so that they might teach the doctrine of God's love in Christ Jesus so that we together are built up in love. Pastors are given to teach lovingly the doctrine of God's love in Christ Jesus so that we can grow in love for one another. Brothers, I'd like to draw out this lesson for us from the text which we read in Ephesians chapter four. I'm not gonna do an exposition of the whole text. I'd like to draw out four lessons for you. First of all, that the body of Christ must be built up in love. The body of believers needs to be built up in love. Second of all, that this building is, takes place through teaching. Teaching, preaching the word. And third, that this teaching must be spoken in love. And finally, a couple words about the gift of pastor teachers. But first of all, the beginning, the body of believers needs to be built up in love. I'd like to look at our text and start at the end. The purpose for which, the goal for which pastors and teachers have been given to the church. If you look at verse 16, the very end of verse 16, make the body, that is to make the church grow so that it builds itself up in love. Pastors, verse 12 we read, were given for building up the body of Christ. And this building up of the body of Christ of the church has a goal of love for one another. Now, if you were to say to me, but isn't the goal that we would grow in Christ? Doesn't this text talk about growing in Christ as we read in verse 13? Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. We need to grow in Christ. 
And you're absolutely right. This text talks about our union with Christ. We belong to Christ. We are in Christ. And we need to grow in him. But this invisible union with Christ becomes visible when we love one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, the apostle John reminds us, no one has ever seen God. Anyone seen God? Any child said, I seen God? Hope not. No one has ever seen God, says Apostle John. But he continues, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, if we love one another, we see something of God in us, among us. We grow up in Christ. And the spiritual goal of growing up in Christ has a practical goal of loving one another. Of seeing the church built up in love for one another. Love for whom? Obviously for one another. It's not love for ourselves. The Bible never explicitly calls us to love ourselves. The scriptures assume that we love ourselves and we often love ourselves very selfishly. Let's be honest. We are called to love God above all and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know the commandment. We've learned it since we were children. Love God above all and love your neighbor as yourself. We are called by Christ Jesus to love God first of all because God, he adopted us in his family. We are his covenant people. We are children of God. And so we love our father. We love the family of God. We love our neighbor. In the context of this text, our neighbors are the brothers and sisters of the body of Christ. Believers of this church. All those who confess Christ as Lord and Savior. We might also recall that we are called to love our enemies. Yes, we are called to love our neighbors who are not Christians. Who don't know Christ. We are also called to love brothers and sisters in the faith. Who treat us like enemies. Who mistreat us. We need to love them. Brothers and sisters, the call of this text before us is that we would be built up in love because our love is unbuilt. Our love is often weak. It causes division in the church. The whole text, chapter 4, is a concern for the unity of the church. You may recall from having read Ephesians how it has a call to unity of the church. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, maintaining that work that needs to be done to maintain the unity of the body of believers because we're so easily divided. You know the sadness of church divisions, I assume. Brothers and sisters who don't get along anymore. They have unresolved personal conflict been a pastor for 20 years and burdened for the loss. The greatest heartbreak is to see brothers and sisters in Christ who have a conflict, just can't forgive each other, can't rebuild the bridges. And so one of them quietly slips away to another church. We need to bear with one another in love. The end of chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verse 32. Apostle Paul comes back to that same exhortation of unity. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When I was in my seminary years, I was required to read the book, The Peacemaker. A book by Ken Sandy, I believe it's still in print. The Peacemaker, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict. And he took this text in Ephesians, which resembles, reflects the Lord's prayer that we forgive one another, like God would forgive us even as we forgive one another in the same way. And Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker, says, imagine if God forgave us the way we tend to forgive one another. Yeah, I forgive you. But I really don't want to see you again. I forgive you, but don't want to work with you on that missions committee. I forgive you, but I can't sit with you in the same church. Imagine if God forgave us that way. I forgive you, but I don't want you with me for eternity. Our God is such a forgiving, gracious God. You've probably heard testimonies of those who have forgiven in extraordinary circumstances. Many of us have heard or at least maybe even read the story of Corey Ten Boom during the Second World War, The Hiding Place. You may recall at the end of the book how after the war she was in Germany sharing her testimony. And a German came up to her after the service. It was a soldier that had been in the concentration camp. A soldier who had humiliated Corey and her sister as they stood naked in the shower. A soldier who had become a child of God. And Corey tells about how it was so hard for her to extend the hand of Christian fellowship. But she did. Wonderful forgiveness. Several months ago, I was told the story of a woman in Rwanda. Some of us remember the massacre in 1994 in Rwanda. Millions killed. A Rwandan woman, she forgave her neighbor who had killed her husband. And then she gave her blessing for her daughter to marry his son. Wonderful forgiveness. Extraordinary. But maybe rather than being awed and wowed by the extraordinary acts of forgiveness, we need to learn how to forgive one another and to love one another in the smaller ways, even within our own churches. I give praise to God for a couple in our church. I wronged them. I wronged them on their wedding night. A couple weeks later, we met. We discussed what happened. We forgave one another. And now several years later, as I was going through a difficult moment last year, that brother in Christ wrote me the most encouraging email I received. That's building the body of Christ in love. Growing up in Christian love for one another. That's what we desire. So what the Spirit desires for us, that we would grow and be built up in Christian love. Now the question is, How? How can we encourage that growing in love amongst one another? What can we do? Well, there'd be several answers to that question. We can have coffee after the worship service and create better ties amongst us. It's a very good idea. 
We can have fellowship meals, invite people over to our place, work on projects together, excellent things. But I'd like to draw your attention to the means which God has ordained for us in this text. How do we grow? How do we build the body of church, the body of believers up in love? Through teaching. Through teaching. We come to our second point, that we're built up in Christian love. We build up the body of believers through preaching and teaching the gospel. If you look at the text that we read in chapter 4, Ephesians 4, it becomes clear that the priority is out of teaching in this text. Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, because they are all teaching ministries. They are to equip the saints for work of ministry, building up the body of Christ through instruction and, yes, personal example. Then we will attain to the unity of faith, we read in verse 11, sorry, verse 13, unity of doctrine. So we think and have the same confession of faith. That we're kept away from the schemes and craftiness of deceitful teaching, heresy. And then verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Preaching, teaching the truth in love. The whole text is talking about teaching, preaching, so that we might indeed grow in love for one another. Now I've seen and read a lot about teaching. It's a personal interest I have. I've read a lot about didactics, pedagogy, methods of teaching, theories of teaching. You've experienced them yourselves, I assume. Instruction that's given in the class, the importance of mentoring. There's also learning by doing from John Dewey, if you'd like to know the name. The importance of teamwork at a school, projects, workshops, seminars. Field trips, which we all love. All methods of teaching. There is one method of, of teaching which is never encouraged, and that's called the lecture, or the monologue, or the sermon. The idea that the teacher is in front of the class and will teach for half an hour, an hour, while the students listen and take notes. Experts in pedagogy say the teacher is active, the students are passive. The teacher is learning, the students are not. Or to take the church, the pastor is active and you are inactive. You're not learning. The sermon doesn't work. So say the experts in pedagogy. Now we can contest them. There's a very great, a great popularity of podcasts, videos, TED Talks, if you're familiar with them. They demonstrate the importance of well-done instruction can be beneficial. There's also the importance of active listening, active participating through listening. Active listening can be simply having your Bible open and following in the text. Active listening can be taking notes. Active listening is when you return home or with your, with your friends or small group, you discuss the sermon. Or you can try this on for size. Active listening. Repeat every word the pastor says. Not out loud, please. Repeat in your mind every word the pastor says. And you will find how hard it is to listen, first of all, but how beneficial it is. There is ways to have active listening. But the most important thing from our text is not simply that this is what works. It's what the Lord has given to us. The Holy Spirit has ordained for us the preaching ministry to build us up in faith and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 20 and 21. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Apostle Paul is preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made the foolish? Sorry. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know him, know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I prefer the translation that says, not the folly of what we preach, but the folly of preaching. God saves those who are called to believe. And so we have Ezra, as we read in the text in Nehemiah, Ezra reading the scriptures before the assembled people, men, God, men and women and children. He read and the Levites read from the law of God and explained it clearly to the people so that they could understand. Ezra did not invent this practice. He got it from what the Lord instructed in, to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 31, that the law of God should be read regularly by the Levites to the people of God. What Ezra began, this reading and instruction became the model of the synagogues for the Jews where the law of God was read and instructed, where Christ himself would read the prophets and instruct. And what was done in the synagogue became the model for the early Christian assemblies. They would gather for the hearing of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 13, Paul tells Timothy, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scriptures, to exhortation and to teaching. And so through the centuries, the church has always been blessed by teachers, preachers, Ambrose, Augustine, Chrysostom. The Reformation was a focus again on the preaching of the word of God. Every Reformation, every revival of the church has had at its core, not just prayer, but the preaching of the word of God. And yet despite these centuries of being blessed by the teaching of the word so we can build up in faith and love, there are those who regularly contest it. Because of the experts, what the experts say, or because of their personal practice. I never learned anything from the Bible. I don't remain, remember anything I was, I was taught in a sermon. They tell us that we need more action. Less, te- less, less speaking. We certainly need faith which is in practice. We need faith working through love. But that faith, brothers and sisters, our faith is fed through the hearing of the preaching of the word of God. Our faith active in love, that faith is nourished, it grows as we hear the preaching of the word of God, as we hear the preaching of the gospel. Because what is it that we teach? What is it that we preach? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's love for us. You've read the letter to the Ephesians. How does it start? It starts in chapter one. Verse four and five, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons because God loved us. He chose us and adopted us. And in chapter two, the great text about how we are saved and what motivated God to save us, enemies of God, dead in sin. Chapter two, verse four, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, because of the great love of God for us. And so the Apostle Paul, at the end of chapter three, invokes and calls us to the love of God in his great prayer. Chapter three, verses 18 and 19. That we may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, that we may know the greatness of God, Christ's love. 
And because God has loved us in this way, and because we pray for his love to be filling our lives, the Apostle Paul can exhort us in chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And he brings it all together for us in chapter 5, verse 2. We're reminded, walk in love, live in love, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love because Christ loved us. There's a verse that has become very precious to me. 1 John 4, verse 19. We love. We love because God first loved us because God loves us we love God and we love one another so we preach the gospel of God's love and the church is built up in love it is God's love that calls us it's God's love that convicts us it is God's love that constrains us commands us and encourages us to receive his love To love God our Father. And to love one another more and more. The body of believers is built up in love. And that building takes place with the teaching of God's love to us. But that teaching needs to be done in love. The preaching needs to be done in love. Our third point, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, with love. Speaking, preaching the truth lovingly. Chapter 4, verse 15 of of our reading. Speaking the truth in love. You may have heard the story of a child. A child who was in church. Nudged his mother. She asked her mother. Why is the pastor speaking so angrily? And the mother leaned over and whispered, because he's reminding us that God loves us. Why are we angry then? God loves us. We speak the truth lovingly because our God loves us so dearly. Speaking the truth in love. Now I must admit this verse four, verse 15, the first part is often misquoted. We often quote it as advice for communication between a, in a life of a couple, between friends, between those who are having difficulty and conflict, you need to speak the truth in love, which is true, good advice. But this text is speaking about the preaching of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God, that we need to speak the truth of God's love and to speak it in a loving way, a gracious way, a thankful way. Truth and love, love and truth. May the pastor never separate what God has brought together because love rejoices in the truth. Great preacher Robert Murray McShane says it this way. Truth without love lacks its proper environment. Truth without love loses its persuasive power. And love without truth forfeits its identity. It degenerates into excessive sentimentalism. Truth without love Sorry, love without truth loses its solidity, its feeling without principle. End of quote. 
Now, speaking the truth in love is a difficult act. We often fall off of one side or the other of the balance of love and truth. Speaking the truth in love, and we often emphasize truth. Others in reaction say, no, but we need to love one another, and they begin to compromise the truth. And so we come back and emphasize more truth. We forget to love one another, even to love our theological enemies. Speaking the truth in love, it's a learning for all of us, even for us pastors and preachers. God's been teaching me this lesson through my social networking. Not my social networking on Facebook. I do have an account if you want to look me up. Not my real, in-the-flesh social networking. I interact in Quebec City with a lot of evangelical believers, a lot of Catholics, a lot of Muslims also. I interact with them for a variety of reasons. One of them is simply to share with them something of the gospel, something of the richness of the Reformed teaching and life. But these interactions have gone caused me to grow both in the love for the truth, but also in speaking that truth with love. I've become more solid, but also more soft, more solid in terms of reformed doctrine. After speaking to them, I come back and say, wow, what a richness God has given us in our teachings. In the summary of the reformed faith and life, it is such a, it's not the perfect doctrine, but it's such a helpful doctrine, helpful summary of what the gospel teaches us, a helpful way of living out the Christian faith and life. I come back away more solid, more convinced, but I come away more softer, or more just softer. I come away softer. I understand the evangelical brother and sister better. I understand Muslims better. I understand from the evangelical brothers and sisters that they are brothers and sisters in the faith, despite our differences in doctrine or practice. You understand from the Muslims that They believe they're saved, but they're not. And my heart yearns for them. And I seek to speak the truth of God in loving ways. Or as Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And so by God's grace, I speak the truth to them Lovingly, speaking the truth in love so that the body of believers may be built up in love. I'd like just to draw this message to an end with a last point. A couple words about the gift of pastors and teachers. The gift of pastors and teachers. Because where he or desires that the body of Christ be built up in love. It's built up in love through the preaching and teaching of the word. A preaching and teaching which is done in love, lovingly. And it's done through pastors, teachers, or as our text says, shepherds and teachers. A pastor and a teacher is a gift of God's grace to the church. It's gospel, a pastor and teacher. Did you notice in the text what we read, verse 7? Ephesians 4, verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then the gift that he gives, there are other spiritual gifts, but that, spirit, that one gift, that grace which is given, is that of shepherds and teachers, of pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers are a gift of God's grace to the church. It is a gift of God's grace so that we might hear the gospel of his grace and love, so that we might hear it as he speak it lovingly, and so that we might indeed be built up in love. 
There's a little bit of a question in the text very rapidly. Is there a difference between a shepherd and a teacher, between a pastor and a teacher? The text notes that it is the shepherd and teachers, no article, the. It's probably best to understand that I'm talking about the same person. A pastor is a teacher. And a teacher of the gospel must be a pastor. We need pastoral instruction. But we also need instruction, which is pastoral Christ promises this gift to the church, the gift of pastors, teachers. And as you know, the church rarely has too many pastors or teachers. We always need more. In Quebec, the Reformed Church of Quebec, l'Église Réformée du Québec, we have several of our men who are coming to retirement age. There's a need for more pastors, including more elders. There's just too many foreigners who come into the province of Quebec, people like me, who come and learn French and speak it with an accent. We need more men of Quebec to rise up, to hear the call, to be gifted to teach the gospel of God's love. And so we give thanks for their gifts like Samuel, Michael, Jacques, good Quebecers, beginning their studies, seeking to discern God's call in their lives. We're praying that the Lord of the harvest would indeed send out harvesters into his field. Because that's the promise of this text. The resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus Christ gives to his church pastors and teachers. He promises to give pastors and teachers. And when Christ promises something, what do we do? We claim it in prayer. We claim the promises of Christ in prayer. We ask God to give us pastors and teachers. Why? Is God forgetting? Can God forget? Even the children know God never forgets. No, we claim the gift of pastors and teachers in prayers in order to prepare ourselves. To prepare ourselves to humbly desire and receive the gift of pastors and teachers. To humbly desire and receive their teaching. To humbly desire and receive their teaching of the gospel of God's love So that our faith might be fed, that our faith might grow, our faith in Christ. And so that our faith might indeed be active, active in love. Love for God who loved us first. And love for our brothers and sisters whom God has loved first. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, almighty God, we thank you that you love us. That you love us with an eternal love. That even before the creation of the world, you set your heart upon us. And in love, you predestined us to be your adopted children. What amazing love. We thank you for the love of giving your son, Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, so that in Christ we might have new life. We give you thanks for the gift of your spirit, the spirit that you pour into our hearts so that your love might be poured into our hearts. Well, Father, almighty God, we pray that we might know your love more and more, that the gospel of your love would indeed be faithfully preached even from this pulpit, 
that you would bless your servant, Pastor Zekfeld, that you bless every man who rises into this pulpit or in any pulpit around the world, that they may be faithful teachers of the gospel of God's love. And may we be faithful hearers, each and every one of us. Lord, feed our faith through the preaching of your word. Feed our faith so that our faith would be active, that we would love you above all, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And help us to love one another. Help us to love one another, even those who have hurt us, those who have treated us as enemies. Help us to love even as you have loved us. May our love indeed shine forth in this world so that all may rejoice in the glory of God's love to us. Amen.